You rule you, I rule me. By definition, in absence of authority, no one would have the power or the right to proclaim, this is how things will be done. Yet that is the only template of thought which most authoritarians have ever considered. Those who realize that they have neither the ability nor the right to control all of humanity do not think in terms of a master plan for the human race. Instead, they think in terms of the only thing they can truly control, their own actions. They think in terms of, what should I do about this, instead of, what should I ask the masters to do about this? They are not so arrogant or delusional to think that they have the right or the ability to make choices for all of mankind. They make their own choices, and accept the unavoidable reality that other people will make different choices. On a practical level, it is absurd to expect that a system of centralized control, wherein a handful of politicians, with their limited understanding and experience, come up with a master plan and then force it on everyone else, would work better than comparing and compelling the knowledge, ingenuity, and experience of hundreds of millions of individuals via a network of mutually voluntary trade and cooperation. No matter what the goal is, whether it is food production, road building, protection against aggressors, or anything else, the ideas that come from the chaos of millions of people trying different innovations and solutions will always be better than the ideas which a handful of politicians come up with. This is especially true in light of the fact that, while politicians force their ideas on everyone via the law, even if they are lousy ideas that no one else likes, free market ideas have to be good enough that other people will voluntarily support them. Despite the amazing prosperity already created by relatively free, anarchistic trade and mutual cooperation, the thought of people coexisting without all of them being controlled and regulated by some master plan is still incomprehensible to most statists. Most statists have never even begun to contemplate the possibility of truly being in charge of their own lives. Everything about modern authoritarian society trains people to be loyal subjects of a system of control, instead of training people to be what they should be, sovereign entities, figuring things out for themselves, interacting with others as equals, answerable to their own consciences above all else. To most, the idea of a world where they are the ones who have to solve the problems, settle disputes, help those in need of help, protecting themselves and others, without being able to run to an all-powerful authority instead, is a completely foreign and terrifying concept. They love to advocate authoritarian solutions, but do not really even want to be in charge of themselves, much less to be personally responsible for making society work. And their belief in authority is what they use to attempt to evade that responsibility and avoid the realities of life. The life of a caged animal is, in many ways, easier than life in the wild. Likewise, life as an unthinking human slave can be more predictable and feel safer than life of responsibility. But, just as living in the wild makes animals stronger, smarter, 
and far better able to care for themselves, letting go of the authority myth will force human beings to be smarter, more creative, more compassionate, and more moral. That is not to say that all people will, without the belief in government, be wise, kind, and generous. But if millions of individuals each understood that it is up to them personally to make the world a better place, instead of merely obediently playing an assigned part in someone else's master plan, while crying to government to fix everything, it would unleash a level of human creativity, ingenuity, and cooperation beyond what most people could possibly imagine. A Different Society Today, most people associate the idea of everyone doing whatever he wants with chaos and death, and associate everyone being obedient and law-abiding with order and civilization. Without the authority myth, however, people would have a very different mindset. Without an authority to blindly follow and obey, without being able to whine to the powers that be to fix everything, people would have to figure out for themselves what is right and wrong and how to solve problems. Some might claim that human beings are too short-sighted, lazy, and irresponsible to run their own lives. But it is precisely the belief in authority that has allowed them to become so lazy and helpless. As long as they believed that making things right was not their job, that fixing problems was not their job, and that all they needed to do was obey their masters, acting as unthinking pawns in someone else's master plan, they had no need to grow up. But shedding the superstition forces one into the position of realizing that there is nothing on earth above him, which means that he is responsible for his own actions, or inaction. He is the one whose job it is to make the world a better place. He is the one who has to make society work. Clearly, there are statists who are trying to make a positive difference, but more often than not, their belief in authority converts their good intentions into evil actions, perverts their compassion into violence, and turns their productivity into the fuel of oppression. For example, many people who join the armed forces start with the noble goal of defending their countrymen from hostile foreign powers, and many of those who become police officers do so with the intention of helping people and protecting the good people from bad people. However, once they become agents of the mythical beast known as government, they immediately cease to be advocates of their own values and their own perceptions of right and wrong, and instead become enforcers of the arbitrary whims of politicians. In every government in history, those purporting to be defenders have quickly, if not immediately, transformed into aggressors. The first act of almost every regime is to impose some sort of taxation to forcibly rob its subjects, usually under the insane excuse that it must do so in order to protect the people against robbers. It is, therefore, ironic that so many people accept the idea that government is the only entity capable of protecting the good from the wicked. In truth, only in the absence of the superstition of authority can good intentions of the would-be protectors and defenders actually serve humanity. A private militia, for example, 
formed for the purpose of defending a certain population against foreign invaders. And such a militia is not imagined by its members or anyone else to have any special authority whatsoever, will be guided by the personal choices of each individual member. Such an organization can be an extremely effective means of exerting justified defensive force while being immune to the usual corruptibility of authoritarian protection rackets. A private militia member who did not suffer from the authoritarian delusion could not and would not ever use the excuse of just following orders to try to deny responsibility for his own actions. If he uses violence, he and everyone around him knows that he personally made the choice and that he is personally responsible for it and should personally be held accountable for his actions. In short, the only time a private, non-authoritarian militia could become oppressive is if every individual in it personally chose to act that way. In contrast, government militaries can become oppressive as a result of even one genuinely malicious person in the chain of command, if those beneath him have been effectively trained to faithfully follow orders. Without the myth of authority, not everyone will act responsibly or charitably. But when each person accepts that he is in charge of himself, it is far less likely that good people will be doing the bidding of evil people, as it constantly happens now, by way of the belief in authority. Statists are often afraid of what some individuals may do if not restrained by government. What they should fear, however, is what those individuals may do if they become government. The amount of damage which one hostile, malicious individual can do by himself is nothing compared to the damage that one hostile, malicious authority figure can do by way of obedient but otherwise good people. To put it another way, if evil was only committed by evil people, the world would be a far better place than it is today with basically good people constantly committing evil acts because a perceived authority told them to. A Different Kind of Rules Without the belief in government, communities would almost certainly develop rules which, at first glance, might resemble what are now called laws. But there would be a fundamental difference. It is both legitimate and useful to write down and publish for all to see statements about the consequences of doing certain things. People in one town may, for example, make it known that if you are caught stealing in their town, you will be subjected to forced labor until you pay back your victim threefold for what you stole. Or the people of some neighborhood might make it known that if you are caught driving drunk there, they will take your car and roll it into a lake. But while such decrees would constitute threats, they would be fundamentally different from what are now called laws for several reasons. First, the ones actually making the threats, the ones who decided what retribution they personally would feel justified in inflicting on those who harm or endanger their neighbors, would alone bear the responsibility for making and carrying out such threats. Second, the threats would not require any election or consensus. One person or a thousand people jointly could issue a warning in the form of, if I catch you doing this, I will do this to you. The threats would not be seen as the will of the people, 
but only as a statement of the intentions of those actually issuing the warning. Third, the legitimacy of such threats would be judged not by who made the threats, but by whether the threatened consequence is, in the eyes of the observer, appropriate for the crime committed. No one would feel any obligation to agree with, or abide by, such a threat if they deemed it to be unfair or unjustified. Fourth, such warnings would not pretend to alter morality, or make up any new crimes, nor would anyone imagine such warnings to be legitimate simply because they were issued, the way people now view authoritarian laws. Instead, such warnings would simply constitute statements about what those making the threats believe to be justified. Therefore, instead of being in the authoritarian formula of we hereby make the following illegal, the warnings would fit into this template. I believe that if you do this, I have the right to respond in this way. Many people having been trained into authority worship would be terrified of such a non-centralized, free-for-all method of human interaction. But what if, the status will ask, someone writes a threat that says, if I don't like your religion, or your hairstyle, or your dietary choices, I will kill you. Examining that question in the context of society, still suffering from the superstition of authority, and in the context of a society without such a belief, shows just how dangerous the authority superstition really is. It is true that in the absence of the belief in government, an individual could still threaten violence in unjustified situations. The point is that everyone will automatically think and behave properly if there are no rulers, but that such malicious tendencies in human beings would be far less dangerous and less destructive without the belief in authority to legitimize them. For example, compare what happens when some individuals vehemently oppose alcohol consumption and when authority forbids it. It is possible, if unlikely, that an individual in a stateless society could, on his own, declare, I consider consuming alcohol to be a sin, and if I find out you've been drinking, I'm coming to your house with a gun to straighten you out. Any person who did so would almost certainly be persuaded, if not by polite reasoning, then by the threat of retaliatory violence, that he should not carry through on his threat, and should stop making such threats. Obviously, one person could not, by himself, inflict oppression upon millions of beer drinkers, even among those who also consider drinking alcohol to be a sin. Even if it was a majority, few would feel justified in trying to forcibly impose their views onto others. Whether they recognize that such aggression is unjustified, or whether they were simply afraid of what might be done to them if they tried, either way, violent conflict would be avoided. In contrast, suppose a group of people wearing the label of government declared alcohol to be illegal, and created a heavily armed gang of enforcers to hunt down and imprison anyone caught possessing alcohol. Since that actually happened, there is no need to theorize about the results. With the promise of fixing most of society's ills, and with public support, 
The U.S. ruling class enacted alcohol prohibition in 1920. Alcohol consumption continued, slightly reduced, and there immediately sprang up a black market in alcohol production and distribution. A hugely profitable but illegal market led to violent conflicts, a jump in organized crime and other crime, and widespread corruption in government, as well as brutal attempts to crush the alcohol trade. Seeing the actual results of prohibition, a majority of the people soon opposed it and demanded to repeal the 18th Amendment, which authorized prohibition at the federal level. And of course, after prohibition ended, all of the related violence, government violence and private violence ended. In this example, and countless others, it can be seen that, left to their own devices, most people will not try to forcibly impose their preferences upon others, but will go out of their way to avoid violent conflicts. However, if there is a government that people can use to coercively inflict their values upon others, they will gladly beg it to do so, and feel no shame or guilt for having done so. If every person who made or attempted to enforce a threat, or rule as it might be called, had to take personal responsibility for having done so, and had to assume the risk himself, very few people would be so eager to threaten their neighbors. But given the vehicle of authority, everyone who believes in government threatens all of his neighbors on a regular basis, and accepts none of the responsibility and assumes none of the risk for having done so. In short, the belief in authority makes everyone who believes in it into a thug and a coward. Organization without authority Having mentioned the ways in which human society would change absent the authority myth, it is equally important to note the things which would not change. For some reason, some people seem to think that anarchy, a stateless society, equates to every man for himself, with every person having to grow his own food, build his own house, and so on. The implication of such a belief is that human cooperation and trade occur only because someone is in charge. Of course, this is not the case and has never been. People trade and cooperate for mutual benefit, as can be seen in the many millions of businesses and transactions which already occur without any government involvement. Supermarkets are examples of highly organized, amazingly efficient means of distributing food, which involve many thousands of individuals, none of whom is coerced into participating, but each of whom does so for his own benefit. Everyone from the farmers, the truck drivers, to the stock boys, to the checkout clerks, to the store managers, to the owner of the entire store chains, does what he does because he receives personal gain from doing so. No one is legally required to produce one bite of food for anyone else, and yet hundreds of millions of people are fed, and fed well, with a large variety of food products of high quality but at a low price, by what is essentially an anarchistic system of food production and distribution. This is the result of human nature and simple economics. Where there is a need for some product or service, there is money to be made providing it. And where there is money to be made, there will be a number of people, 
or groups of people competing for that money by trying to make products that are better and cheaper. Such a system, which is really no system at all, automatically punishes those whose products are inferior or too costly and rewards those who find a way to provide people with what they want at a better price. And giving up the authority myth would not hamper that in the slightest. In fact, the authority superstition is constantly interfering with people who attempt to organize for mutual benefit. By throwing taxes, licensing requirements, regulations, inspectors, and other legal obstacles in the way, even laws supposedly intended to protect consumers usually do nothing but limit the options available to consumers. The end result is that many businessmen who would otherwise have to focus on making a better product at a better price instead focus on lobbying those in government to do things which handicap or destroy competing businesses. Because the mechanism of government is always the use of force. It can never help with competition. It can only hinder it. In other words, rather than being essential to an organized society, the myth of authority is the biggest obstacle to human beings organizing for mutual benefit. Defense without authority Who insist that government is necessary often raise the issue of defense and protection, claiming that society without government would mean that anyone could do anything. There would be no standards of behavior, no rules, no consequence for those who choose to commit theft or murder, and that society would therefore collapse into constant violence and mayhem. Such concerns, however, are based on a profound misunderstanding of human nature and of what government is and what it is not. Defending against aggressors requires no special authority, no legislation, no law, and no law enforcers. Defensive force is inherently justified, regardless of who does it and regardless of what any law says. And having a formal, organized means of providing such defensive force for a community also does not require government or law. Each individual has the right to defend himself or defend someone else. He may choose to hire someone else to provide defense services, either because he is physically unable to defend himself or just because he would rather pay someone else to do it. And if a number of people choose to pay to have an organization of trained fighters with the weapons, vehicles, buildings, and other resources they need to defend an entire town, the people would have that right as well. At this point, most believers in government will protest, saying that's all that government is. But that is not the case, and this is where the difference becomes apparent. What an individual does not have the right to do, what no group of people, no matter how large, has any right to do, is to hire someone else, individual or group, to do something which any average individual does not have the right to do. They cannot rightfully hire someone to commit robbery, even if they call it taxation, because the average individual has no right to steal. They cannot rightfully hire someone to spy on and forcibly control the choices and behaviors of their neighbors, even if they call it regulation. 
Those in a stateless society would feel justified in hiring someone to use force only in the very limited ways and in the very limited situations in which every individual has the right to use force to defend against aggressors. In contrast, most of what the so-called protectors in government do is commit acts of aggression, not defend against them. Some of what is now classified as police work In fact, all of what the police do that is actually legitimate, noble, righteous, and helpful to society would exist without the authority myth. Investigating wrongdoing and apprehending actual criminals, meaning people who harm others, not merely people who disobey politicians, would continue without the authority myth as something that almost everyone would want and would be willing to pay for. This is demonstrated by the fact that there are already private detectives and private security companies, in addition to the protection services of the government, that everyone is forced to fund. There would be only one difference, though it is a major difference. Those doing the job of investigating and protecting, in the absence of the authority superstition, would always be viewed as having exactly the same rights as everyone else while presumably they would be better equipped and better qualified to do their jobs than the average citizen, their actions would be judged by the same standards that the actions of anyone else would be judged, which is not at all the case with the so-called law enforcers. Private protection providers would also judge their own actions, not by whether authority had told them to do something, or whether their actions were deemed legal by government, but by whether those actions, in their own personal view, were inherently justified. Not only would an excuse of just following orders not convince the general public, but the agents themselves could not, even in their own minds, use such an excuse to evade responsibility for their actions. Because no one would be claiming to be an authority over them. Non-authoritarian police, if they would even be called that, would be viewed very differently than government agents are now. They would not be seen as having the right to do anything to any other person that they did not have the right to do. They could only go places, question people, use force, or do anything else in situations where anyone else would be justified in doing the same thing. As a result, the average person would have no reason to feel any nervousness or self-consciousness in their presence, as most people now do when in the presence of law enforcers. People would feel no more obligation to submit to questioning or searches or anything else requested by private protectors than they would if some stranger on the street made such requests. And if a private protector became abusive or even violent, his victim would have the right to respond in the same way he would if anyone else was behaving in that way. More importantly, the individual who resisted aggression from a private protector would have the support of his neighbors if he did so, because his neighbors would not be imagining any obligation to bow to someone because of any badge or any law. Ultimately, The best check against a defense organization becoming corrupt or out of control is the ability of its customers to simply stop paying, 
Obviously, no one wants to pay for a gang to oppress them. But most people also do not want to pay for a gang to oppress someone else either. As much as the average person wants to see thieves and murderers caught and stopped, he also wants to see that the innocent are not harmed. If the customers of some private protection company discovered that their protectors were harassing and assaulting innocent people, the type of behavior that they were hired to prevent, the customer base would instantly disappear and the thugs would be out of business. And if, in the absence of any claimed authority, the thugs decided to try to force their former customers to keep paying, the backlash from the people would be swift and severe, as no one would feel any legal obligation to allow themselves to be oppressed. A non-authoritarian protection system would also lack another particularly ludicrous aspect of nearly all government forms of defense. It is standard not only for governments to force people to fund defense schemes, but to refuse to even tell people what at all they are funding. The U.S. government, and in particular the CIA, though many other agencies also engage in secret operations, has spent decades and trillions of dollars, much of which still remains unaccounted for, on operations that its customers, the American people, are prohibited from knowing about. Indeed, anyone who tried to tell the American people what all they were funding would be imprisoned, or worse, for causing a breach of national security. With nearly unlimited power, nearly unlimited funds, and permission to do all of its deeds in secret, it's utterly absurd to imagine that the military and the CIA would only do useful, righteous things. Indeed, more and more, the American people are learning that the CIA, for decades, has engaged in drug running and gun running, torture, assassination, buying influence with foreign governments, installing puppet dictators, and all sorts of other destructive and evil practices. Even President Harry Truman, who created the CIA, later stated he never would have done so if he had known it would become the American Gestapo. Any private company that offered protection or defense services would get no customers at all if its sales pitch was, if you give us huge sums of money, we will protect you, we just won't tell you what you're paying for. And we won't tell you what we do or how we do it. The only reason government gets funding based on such a ridiculous premise is because it gets its money through violent coercion, not voluntary trade. The people are not given a choice of whether to fund it or not. There is another preposterous aspect of the protection via government, which would never occur with private defense and protection providers. Under the guise of gun control and other weapons laws, Authoritarian regimes often forcibly prevent people from being able to defend themselves, while making the ridiculous claim that it is being done for the safety of the very people being disarmed. Those in power know full well that a disarmed public is a helpless public, and that is precisely what the tyrants want. The idea that a person who does not mind violating laws against theft or murder is going to mind violating weapons laws is absurd. Crime statistics and common sense 
Both demonstrate that passing a law against private weapon ownership will affect only the law-abiding, with the result being that the basically good people will end up less able to defend themselves against aggressors. And that is exactly what the politicians want, because they have the biggest, most powerful gang of aggressors around. Needless to say, if someone is looking for protection against aggressors, he will not voluntarily pay a company to forcibly take his own means of self-defense. Furthermore, violent clashes between the police and civilians would obviously be reduced or non-existent if the people could simply stop funding any protectors that became aggressors. For example, much of the racial tensions and violence in U.S. history were the result of white law enforcers oppressing and abusing black civilians. Rather than law acting as civilizing influence, it was used as an excuse for violent aggression. Given a choice, the inhabitants of a black neighborhood obviously would have not voluntarily paid to have racist, sadistic white thugs intimidating and assaulting them on a regular basis. Many other violent clashes in U.S. history and elsewhere have also been the result of people upset with what their ruling class was doing to them. This would include the massacre of thousands of protesters in the Tiananmen Square by the Chinese army in 1989, the killings of several anti-war protesters by the National Guard at Kent State in Ohio in 1970, and so on. More and more often in the United States, public demonstrations and protests over government policies end in authoritarian attacks against protesters, with tear gas batons, tasers, rubber bullets, and so on. Obviously, no group of people would willingly pay for a gang that forcibly stops those same people from speaking their minds. Most importantly, the motivation behind such protests is always displeasure with what the government officials are doing against the will of the people. At least, some of the people. If each person was allowed to spend his own money instead of being forced to fund a centralized, authoritarian agenda, there would be no reason for most of this type of protest and the resulting clashes to occur at all. A non-authoritarian protector would do only the things that he and his customers viewed as justifiable, which would probably be spelled out in contract form where the protector agrees to provide specific services for a specific fee. Compare this to the standard government version of protection. We will forcibly take as much of your money as we want, and we will decide what, if anything, we will do for you. Most people want aggressors stopped, and the innocent protected. In a free market, the way for a company to succeed is by giving the customers what they want. Unlike government, if a private defense company had to rely on willing customers, it would have a huge incentive not to be careless, wasteful, abusive, or corrupt. If people could take their business elsewhere, there would always be a competition to see who could provide actual justice most effectively. For a private protection company to succeed, it would have to demonstrate to its customers that, first, it is very good at figuring out who is guilty and who is not. Second, 
It is very good at making sure that the innocent are not harassed, assaulted, or slandered. Third, it is very good at making sure that the truly dangerous people are caught and prevented from doing further harm. Fourth, it is very good at making sure the victims of crimes receive whatever restoration is possible. And fifth, it is very good at making it so that those who have done something wrong but do not need to be completely removed from society are put into an environment where their attitude and behavior can actually improve. In contrast, government prosecutors specialize in always demonizing the accused and always having an incentive to get convictions, or the coerced confessions known as plea bargains. Regardless of guilt or innocence of the accused, government courts consistently release people who still pose an obvious danger to others, while keeping millions of people locked up who have harmed no one. The government prison system, because of how prisoners are degraded, abused, and assaulted, by guards as well as other inmates, makes frustrated, angry people into people who are even more frustrated and angry, making innocent people into criminals, and making criminals into worse criminals. And the American people are coerced into funding that destructive system, whether they want to or not. Another important point is that, in the case of a private protection company, if one protector becomes abusive, the reputation and career of every other protector depends on exposing and rooting out the thug. In contrast, it is now universally understood that government police forces will, first and foremost, protect their own. When one cop is caught doing something corrupt, illegal, or violent, almost without exception, all the other cops will help to cover it up or defend it. They function based upon gang mentality, because the people who are forced to pay their salaries are not the people they actually have to answer to. Like most government employees, they answer to the politicians and view the general public as cattle, not customers. In contrast, the general public would view private defenders as their friends, their allies, and their employees and more importantly, as their equals. They would not view them as an authority they must grovel before, nor as a constant potential threat to be feared. Everyone, including the hired protector, would recognize that the protector has no more rights than anyone else. Everyone would know that if a hired protector ever committed theft, or assault, or murder, he would be viewed and treated exactly as any other thug would be viewed and treated. A genuine protector who defends liberty and property not only does not require a belief in authority, he requires an absence of that belief. One who imagines himself to have the right to forcibly control everyone else, even if it's only in a limited way, is going to treat people accordingly. The law enforcer, who hands out tickets for obscure infractions, detains and interrogates people without just cause, and seems always looking for a reason to interfere with people's daily lives, is not a protector, and deserves no respect or cooperation. A non-authoritarian protector, on the other hand, would be nothing more than a normal human being, with the same rights as everyone else. 
though perhaps more often armed and better trained in physical combat than most, he would be viewed as the neighbor to call if there was trouble, rather than an agent of a gang of thugs which, first and foremost, serves the ruling class. And the job of a protector, absent any special authority, power, or status, would mainly attract those who truly want to protect the innocent, but would not attract those who merely want a chance to exercise power and control over others, a human shortcoming which the job of modern law enforcement feeds. This is not to say that private protectors would never do anything wrong. They would still be human, capable of bad judgment, negligence, and even malicious intent, just like everyone else. However, they would not have legal permission to do wrong, and would have no system, no law, no authority which they could blame for their actions, or they could hide behind to avoid the wrath of their victims. If they ever acted as aggressors, retribution against them would be certain and swift. In a population that has given up the superstition of authority, any group of protesters which decided to become a group of extortionists, thugs, and tyrants would not be voted against, or sued, or complained about to some authority. They would be shot. The only thing that allows for the prolonged, widespread oppression of any armed populace is the belief in authority among the victims of oppression. Without that, it is impossible to subdue or dominate them for long. Deterrence and Incentives Some assume that, if not for government, crooks would be free to do as they please without any repercussions. Again, this shows a profound misunderstanding of human nature and of what government is. In truth, the belief in authority adds nothing to the effectiveness of any system of defense and protection. People who use aggression against others, such as assault, theft, and murder, obviously are not restrained by their own morality or respect for the self-ownership of their victims. However, they may choose not to commit a particular crime if they imagine a risk of harm to themselves. That is called deterrent. And deterrents, by definition, do not depend upon appealing to the consequence of the attacker, but instead make use of the attacker's instincts for self-preservation. To put it bluntly, the message which works on true criminals is not, do not do that because it's wrong. The message is, do not do that or you will get hurt. The supposed moral righteousness or authority of the threat against a would-be aggressor is irrelevant to the effectiveness of the deterrent. Whether it is a police officer, a dog, an angry homeowner, or even another thief, the only question in an attacker's mind is whether he is likely to suffer pain or death if he attempts to rob or attack someone. Deterrence to other types of bad behavior which are not so severe or blatant as theft or assault, also do not require authority. Some assert that without government inspectors and regulators, every business would be putting out shoddy, dangerous products. But such a claim is, again, based upon a profound misunderstanding of human nature and economics. 
no matter how greedy or selfish a businessman may be, he cannot be successful in the long run if he sells products which do not please his customers. Someone who knowingly sells a defective product or tainted food will have very few, if any, customers. The many highly expensive recalls which many companies voluntarily carry out, even for relatively trivial defects or problems, attest to this fact. Unlike in the current situation, in which the power of the government is used to prop up and protect the irresponsible and destructive corporations, in a truly free market, with informed consumers and open competition, corruption and crime would not pay, and businesses would be unable to insulate themselves from the consequences of their irresponsibility. Government inspectors and regulators are driven by the incentive to impose fines on people and to enforce laws and regulations, regardless of whether they make any sense. In contrast, a system of private inspectors, which answers only to the people who want to know what is safe and which has no enforcement power, has no incentive to interfere with the business or to make up things to complain about. Businesses could voluntarily invite private reviews of their products or facilities, such as is already done by the underwriter's laboratories, UL, consumer reports, and others, in order to be able to show the public an unbiased opinion of how safe and reliable their products are. Many companies do this today, on top of having to jump through all of the bureaucratic hoops which governments put in their way. Many other matters could be handled in similar, non-authoritarian ways. Private building inspectors, already used by many realty companies, would have the job of determining, on behalf of potential buyers, how safe and sound a building is. In addition to private inspectors, restaurants could simply invite potential customers to examine their facilities themselves. All of these actions would be voluntary. A business could choose not to allow any inspections, and potential customers could choose whether or not to patronize that business. The fact that so many things are assumed to be problems for authority to handle is a sign of intellectual laziness. Customers want quality products, and businessmen who want to be successful must provide quality products. It is in the interests of both therefore, to be able to objectively demonstrate the quality of the products being offered. Contrary to the stereotype of the evil, greedy, profiteering businessman, the way to become rich in a free society is by providing products and services which actually benefit the customer. Almost all of the dishonest schemes that are profitable in the long term are those that are forcibly created or endorsed by government such as the fractional banking scam, the legal counterfeiting scam called monetary policy, the litigation racket, and so on. Even without government, there would occasionally be serious conflicts. For example, suppose a factory was dumping toxic waste into a river, killing all the fish downstream on the property of others, which would constitute a form of trespass and property destruction. The absence of authority would not preclude the victims from doing anything about it. In fact, it may make it easier for them to do something about it. Instead of suing in a government court, where the judge can be bribed into supporting the billion-dollar business, the response might be something more effective 
even if it appears less civilized. The people who live on the river may do something as simple as telling the factory owner that if he keeps allowing his pollution to flow on their properties, they will physically destroy his factory. Obviously, there may be more polite, peaceful ways the problem could be solved, such as boycotts or publicizing the wrongdoing. Either way, the people can create an effective deterrent to improper behavior, especially when there is no government involved that can be paid off and corrupted. Many campaign contributions now amount to little more than bribes to have government regulators look the other way. Likewise, government courts can easily find reasons to dismiss almost any lawsuit, thereby allowing wealthy criminals, the kind with real victims, to prosper. The cliché of the greedy, evil businessman often omits the fact that large-scale crimes are usually done with the cooperation of government officials. Without protection from the government, even the most greedy, heartless businessman would have a huge incentive not to anger his customers to the point where they stop buying his products or to the point where they react violently against him. Most people, most of the time, would be reluctant to use force, knowing that they alone would bear both the responsibility and the risks of doing so. There would be a huge incentive to settle disputes and disagreements peacefully and by mutual agreement. When the belief in government is prevalent, on the other hand, there is no incentive to settle things peacefully because winning the political battle poses no risk to those who advocate violence via government. Without a ruling class to whine to, to legislatively impose some central agenda on everyone, people would be forced to deal with each other as rational adults, instead of as whiny, irresponsible children. People would be far better served by attempts at cooperation and peaceful compromise than they are by fighting over who can get a hold of the sword of government. When bullying and aggression are no longer recognized as legitimate forms of human interaction, human beings will, out of necessity, learn to play nice. Anarchy in Action While many people dread the thought of anarchy, the truth is that almost everyone experiences anarchy on a regular basis. When people go food shopping or browse at the mall, they are seeing the results of non-authoritarian, mutual cooperation. No one is forced to produce any of the products offered. No one is forced to sell anything. No one is forced to buy anything. Each person acts in his own best interest, and everyone involved, producer, seller, and buyer, profits from the arrangement. All of the individuals benefit and society in general benefits, without any coercion or rulers involved. There are countless examples of mutually voluntary, cooperative, peaceful, efficient, and useful events and organizations that do not involve government. Nonetheless, though there are a myriad of readily available examples of how efficient, organized, and productive anarchistic interaction is compared to nearly all government endeavors, People still imagine that human beings interacting with each other as equals all the time would lead to chaos and mayhem. When cars meet at a four-way stop, 
or when people pass on the sidewalk, that is anarchy in action. Billions of times every day, people take turns, leave room for others, and so on, without any authority commanding them to do so. Sometimes people are inconsiderate, but even then, only rarely does serious conflict occur, anything more than a rude gesture or an angry word. Potential conflicts from very minor things to more serious matters happen billions of times every day, and in the vast majority of cases, they are resolved without violence and without the involvement of any authority. Even regarding more significant problems, people often find ways to reach mutual agreements. While organized, non-governmental methods of dispute resolution, using arbitrators, investigations and negotiations can peacefully solve even major disagreements. Most conflicts of interests never get that far. Most people, most of the time, go out of their way to avoid or quickly settle potential clashes with others. Though some people would point to such things as an indicator of the inherent goodness of mankind, there is often another factor at work. Most people simply do not want the hassles and distresses that come with confrontations, and especially don't want the risks that come with violent confrontations. Many people turn the other cheek quite often, not necessarily because they are patient and loving, but simply to avoid being bothered with time-wasting, futile bickering. Many, when they encounter someone doing something obnoxious, simply let it slide, because they have more important things to worry about. There is, in most people, a strong tendency to get along, even if just for one's own benefit. And if there were no authority to run to, no giant mommy or daddy state to cry to, people would handle matters like adults far more often than they do now. This is not to say that every difference of opinion would end peacefully and fairly without authority, but the availability of the giant club of government is a constant temptation to anyone who holds a grudge or wants to hurt someone else or wants to obtain unearned wealth via legislation. If it were not there, fewer people would drag out or escalate disagreements or disputes. Whether because of charity, cowardice, or just a desire to avoid the headaches of a prolonged conflict, many people, even those who have a legitimate complaint against someone else, will simply let bygones be bygones and get on with their lives. Even without such examples, it is utterly irrational to claim that people could not get along without government, when everything government does, using violence and the threat of violence to control people, is the precise opposite of getting along. The notion that peaceful coexistence requires aggression and coercion is logically ridiculous. The only thing that bringing authority into a situation guarantees is there will not be a non-violent, peaceful resolution to the matter. When someone describes the society he wants to see, he almost always describes a state of non-violence, of mutual cooperation and tolerance. In other words, what he will describe is the complete antithesis of the violence and coercion of authority. 
Yet, having been raised to imagine authority to be a vital and positive part of society, people still constantly try to achieve peace by way of war, try to achieve cooperation by way of coercion, try to achieve tolerance by way of intolerance, and try to achieve humanity by way of brutality. Such insanity is the direct result of people being taught to respect and obey authority.